This is your emergency broadcast system. It's time for the hashtag Biz with the Beer podcast. Business as you've never heard before. This is an ACS executive production. Now, belt up and shut up. It's going to be one bumpy flipping ride. May God be with you all. Good afternoon and welcome to the podcast that is authentic, shameless, unapologetic, and raw. This is the hashtag biz with the beard podcast. This is business as you've never heard before. I am your host, the man whose wingman is always on my face, the beard, Mr. Kirby Smith. You look like a man-o'-lantern. And I want to thank all of our listeners from all of our platforms. You can find us on which include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Anchor, and many, many more. And if you want to support the show, you can do that and subscribe to future episodes at anchor.fm slash bizwithbeard. And you can also contact, contact me directly to be title sponsors of the show at curfee at acsexec.com. We have a great guest and a great topic today. But before we introduce our guest, I want to announce a sponsor partnership that I have with Coon Beard Products. Now, if you want your beard to be bold, audacious, brave, and courageous like mine, let me fill you in on a little secret. Don't act like you're not impressed. I use Coon Beard Balm and Beard Oils. In fact, I'm stoked because Coon just recently launched a monthly subscription box called the Coon Box, where every month you're going to get $60 worth of products delivered for free for only $29 a month. So what comes in a Coon Box? You get beard oil, beard balm, Coon soap, and other surprises each and every month. My good friend, uh, Chris at Coon, who is the owner, is always experimenting with new stuff. So anything new, he'll put in the sample each month as well. It really is a good deal. New scents each month, new products each month. Believe me, you won't be disappointed. By the way, you have to see this, these wooden boxes he hand makes. They're designed to hold your Coon beard oil and beard balm. As a hashtag biz with beard listener, Coon is going to hook up all our bearded listeners by giving you your very first month free when you sign up for Coonbox. All you have to do is go to Coonbox.com, use the code BizBeard when you sign up. Use that code and you will get your first month free. That's a $60 value, absolutely free. That is Coonbox.com, use code BizBeard and get your first month free. Time to get your beard on. All right. I'm very excited, not only about our guest this week, but especially about the topic he is going to discuss with us. Not only is he an expert in his field, he also sports some good facial hair. There, by default, you need to pay attention because he already knows more than you. That's what I'm talking about, man. Today's guest is a leader, a strategist, and an entrepreneur. He has helped to build efficiency into multiple Fortune 500 organizations and businesses across the world. He and his company have an have and apply a pragmatic approach to business and communicate clear, concise, and effective solutions that drive value. He started as a project manager consultant over 17 years ago, but now is the president and chief operating officer of the company, Alipro, where he is responsible for overall strategic and operational initiatives. He took Alipro through a very rapid expansion of client base and revenues, both nationally and internationally, by positioning the company to a strategic growth plan. Friends, we're going to talk problem-solving, entrepreneurship, and leadership today, and there's nobody better that I can think of than today's guest. Please welcome the President and Chief Operating Officer of Alipro from the great state of Wisconsin, Mr. Jared Hoke. Thanks, Kerfee. Glad to be here. All right. Well, uh, I really appreciate you joining us. As mentioned earlier, you have a beard. Is it something that you think is uh, more acceptable today than it was before? Or, and what's your company policy on facial hair? Um, you know, as long as it's uh, well kept and well groomed, yeah. we're we're okay with it. Uh, we really don't have a, a hard and fast rule. We try to let people be themselves and try to let them, you know, shape their appearance that makes them comfortable. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. As long as you keep it nice and uh, trimmed up, that's all right. You know, it's funny how some people just still, still to this day, like no facial or whatsoever. You know, at the end of the day, my thing in my business and probably in your business too, if I'm saving you money, why do you care? You know what I have on my face? It shouldn't yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, I've, I've had a few clients uh, early on that weren't really too fond of facial hair. They were a little bit more seasoned than I was looked at it as a little rebellious and uh, 
you know, I've, I've had a lot of different comments over the years and I think uh, society in general is starting to come around yeah. to, to the beard. So it uh, really started for me when my wife said, you know, I think you look kind of good in a beard. Maybe you should stop shaving. <laughs> and uh, shaving wasn't exactly something I liked to do anyways. Right. Why hide something that's, uh, you know, born to be there? So, but yeah, my, I started my beard the exact same way. I think I went like a couple of days and had a nice five o'clock shadow and started wearing that. And my wife said the exact same thing. Man, you would look really good with a beard, and since then I've kept it. So. What you want, Grizzly Adams? Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm probably glad, I'm probably lucky, and so are you, that you know we work for ourselves. Because if I had an employer that asked me to shave, I'd probably just tell them it's against my religion. And if they asked me what religion that would, I'd tell them, yeah, man. Hey, Jared, let's get into the show, all right? Let me ask you a quick question about your past. And looking back when you were a student at SIUE, that's uh, Southern Illinois University, and after being crowned the ASME Bowling Student Design Competition National Champion, which I don't know if you knew, I looked that up, where was your mind uh, or your aspirations at that time? And are you surprised at all, you know, almost over 20 years later that you're running an international project management company for Fortune 500 companies? Well, to be honest, um, you know, at the time, I really didn't think about my future too much at that point. I was really looking at, you know, I just graduated and was still trying to figure out my path. By the time the championship was held, I'd already graduated. I was working on a contract job at, at Caterpillar in Peoria, Illinois, okay. and I was growing my knowledge in both engineering and business and project management. And, uh, you know, I, I guess looking back, I'm not too surprised that I'm in the PM field. The, the whole competition started with uh, myself and a, a fellow student named Chad Burns, and that grew to several others that, that also joined in, Dennis O'Connor, Mark Hycock, uh, Andrew Rummer and, and, and several more. And it, it really started with, uh, you know, us looking at each other's strengths and realizing what we all brought to the table. And, you know, that's where it kind of started for me. I, I just have always naturally gravitated towards planning and kind of leading even at an early age. I, I remember, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old or so. And my dad was mowing down a bunch of sweet corn that we grew every year and mm-hmm. whatever we didn't eat or, or consume between ourselves, friends and families, it just, just, it just got mowed down. And I had this idea. I said, Hey, how about you let me pick all that and throw it in the back of your truck and, and then I'm going to sell it. I just want you to park your truck uptown across the street from the grocery store. And I thought, well, what better way to get traffic? And, you know, back then you could do things like that. You didn't need all the permits and things you see people right. get in trouble for. Today. But, um, you know, and the owner of the grocery store, he wasn't exactly thrilled, but he wasn't against it either. He came out, kind of laughed, and even bought a dozen ears. But, uh, you know, that's kind of where it started for me, was just looking at waste, looking at things that, that people took for granted and, and didn't realize that there could be a value in. And with a little bit of hard work and things like that, um, you can make something of it. So, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been a problem solver. And I guess it just seems logical to end up where I am now. So were you a farm kid? I was. Grew up on a born and raised on a farm outside of a very small town. So if if you wanted to see anything when I was growing up that resembled fast food or a, a street light, you needed to drive about thirty five or forty minutes. <laughs> Same way. I grew up in a little town too. Mine uh, mine was uh, population seventeen hundred. How big was yours? Fifteen hundred. Oh, well, you beat me. <laughs> uh, at the time, it was fifteen hundred. I think it's twenty two hundred today. Oh, it's growing. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. So did you guys do a lot of, we did the same thing. I was a farm kid. Uh, we always planted the sweet corn and gosh, I hated that time of year. Uh, because I remember all my aunts and uncles, they'd come out and they'd pick it and gosh, my mom and they would sit there and can it. And I'd had to sit there and shuck it all day long. Yeah. It, it, we did the same thing. And, uh, you know, I appreciate those skill sets today. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was interesting last summer. Uh, I couldn't remember exactly the, the whole process for, for canning and freezing the sweet corn. So yeah. my mom and dad came up to my place there in Wisconsin and brought several dozen ears and we spent the afternoon doing it. And, Did you, really? you know, my, my kids were, uh, the oldest son is, is seven and a half and he, he didn't exactly enjoy it, but <laughs> it, it was kind of new for him, something different. So he, right. you know, he helped out. He was a trooper. Yeah. Did you guys have like the little nail that goes through the piece of wood where you put the corn on and you just cut it off? No, we did not. It was good old fashioned. You picked it up in your hand and, and everything was, was done by hand. There wasn't anything fancy about it. <laughs> I don't know how fancy and, uh, you know, piece, a nail and a cookie piece of wood sheet. is. Yeah, a cookie sheet and a butcher knife or a fillet knife. That was, there you go. <laughs> that was what we did. 
Well, tell me, how did Jared rise to his position and what advice would you give anyone out there about career paths? You know, I, I, I wouldn't really say that I've you know, risen to a position, but I would say that, you know, just to be anything, you know, being able to get to the position today, you know, it's really three things, in my opinion, that, that it takes. It takes hard work, it takes persistence and really not being afraid to fail. Um, you know, even early on, as I began to learn more about project management, I used that knowledge to organize and accomplish more engineering. I thought I was really going to go down the engineering path. I enjoyed the problem solving, I enjoyed building things. I enjoyed looking at things that way. And, you know, shortly thereafter, I started to see the value of the project management discipline. Um, I saw the value that it could bring to business. And I really started to transition away from the technical engineering towards business. And the draw for me was solving problems. And so even though they weren't necessarily technical or engineering problems, it, w it was still the problem. You know, how do you mm -hmm. uh, implement project management? How do you put this discipline in place? How do you organize others? How do you get them to see the value in it? And, you know, while I was I was still using my engineering background as a problem solver. And one of the things that you realize if you go through engineering school is they, they kind of lead you to believe that you're, you're the last hope. It comes down to you. You can't be wrong. And they give you an approach no matter what it is to, to go through and, and solve problems. And, you know, of course, there's a whole bunch of math and physics and everything else on top of it. But, um, you know, really, you can apply that to so many things. And that's where I encourage people to really explore different career paths, use your talents and, and experiment. It doesn't mean that you've got to leave your current job or your current employer. You can you can take on stretch assignments. You can get involvement outside of your current role. You can start a small company. You, you know, there's so many different things. But I think a lot of people look at it. It's that fear of failure. And sometimes you can't be afraid to just fail fast. I know that that's kind of a cliche term, but, um, you know, you, you never know if you really don't dip your toe in the water. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy to get sucked into trying to rise up the corporate ladder. And if that's your focus, it, it most of the time becomes an obstacle. Whereas if you start, again, I hate to be a cliche, but if you just no. start doing what you enjoy – it really starts to take off from there. And I think people recognize you for your talent. And if you're not getting into a situation where uh, you're getting outside of your talent zone and you get promoted or something or put into a position where uh, you're outside of your comfort zone and therefore it becomes a stretch to achieve and accomplish. So the other thing along the way, I try to tell people and give advice is, you know, be careful and watch out for your work-life balance. And, you know, I fell to that trap early on in my career I was married to my job and mm -hmm. I, I really didn't have time for anything else. And pretty soon I looked up and seven, eight years had passed and I, I watched my friends with families and all these other things. And uh, I was the furthest thing from it. Yeah. So that was a, that was a challenge for me to start to bring that work-life balance back into play. And, and uh, it's still a challenge to this day and I'm learning more and more now that I've got a family of my own. Yeah. Well, no, I think you bring up a, a couple of good points. Uh, one you, you touched on already is not being afraid, being afraid to fail. And I think that is like the biggest obstacle of everybody out there on doing anything that they want to do or love to do because they're afraid to fail. And they're afraid to fail because they're worried about what other people are going to think. I see it all the time. We do our coaching sessions. I ask people all the time, well, why can't you do that? Well, you know, I might, I, I don't care. Why can't you do it? Don't give me an excuse. Why can't you do it? You can do it. I mean, we got 24 hours in a day, right? And you need, what, eight hours of sleep, they say? You're supposed to six. And a lot of people, you know, function on six, right? And, and if you, can, you have a job, you know, that's another eight hours. Well, you have all this other time. And you can make it happen. Now, there is that career, you know, uh, work-life balance that you had made mention. But I don't think that's such a bad thing. And, I, and, and, and excuse me, I don't really believe in that. I just believe in life. And I think if you find something that you love to do, you can it will balance out itself. But like you said, if you go to a job that you hate because society tells you you have to do this and you have to you know be married at a certain age and have a car and have a you know a, a house by a certain age and kids, yeah, then it becomes much more difficult. But if you can stay focused on what you want to do early on in life on something that you love, and then everything everything else should fall in place. That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that, and that's really, you know, the crux of it is it's different for everyone. 
Um, you know, everybody is going to keep their mind fresh to keep their drive strong in different ways. And as long as you're able to do that, as long as you're able to keep moving forward and not focusing on some of the setbacks, because you will, you'll face a setback. It doesn't. It's going to happen. Yep. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that started a business or <laughs> runs a business or been in any type of position that can say, I've never failed. I've never done anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if I did find somebody that said that, I'd find somebody that um, has never taken a risk in their life. And again, that's what they're comfortable with. That's fine. But for people that want to know, well, how do I go from A to B? And here is where my B is at. Here's where my goal is. And, uh, you know, I always tell them, start start with it by looking at the overall goal. Break it down into pieces and don't be afraid to take some (laughs) risks. You don't have to risk everything. But you're certainly not going to get there by playing it safe. Yeah. And, and fail, like you said, failure is going to happen. It has to happen. If it didn't, there's something wrong. It, it will eventually. So so let's jump into project management. All right. When I hear the term project management and I think of the term problem solving and, you know, the core of my consulting business is based around problem solving methodology. Is there a specific methodology like Kaizen or Six Sigma that AliPro follows? And if not, what is it? Can you describe that for us and what it, this means to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously can't give you the ingredients to the secret sauce, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I can uh, if there really is one, you know. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we do have a a proven project methodology. We call it our our PASS methodology or Project Alignment Success System. And you know, I, I could talk about this all day, so I'll keep it at high level and not yeah, bore yeah, everyone yeah, to yeah. death. But our, you know, our approach show is, then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our approach has been you know kind of honed over the the past twenty five years. And really started before I was even involved with the company. And, you know, really what it what our approach is, is just to take each element in the project management process and relate it and build upon it to create the next. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, we build our artifacts in a team setting. You know, we ensure consensus and understanding. And, and that's so important. If if, uh, you know, Kerfee and Jared sit in a boardroom and decide this is what the company's going to do, this is the timeline it's going to be done in, and then we go out and bark orders and commands, we're probably not going to get very far. Right. Um, especially when we haven't confided in those experts that we have, that we that we pay pay very well and, and allow them to come up with great ideas. And, you know, from that point, it, it really moves into, you know, what I would call a virtual kickoff or pre-kickoff, you know, where you, you've got to get people together They've got to have the opportunity to talk about their concerns, risks, things like that. And really, it's the opportunity to lay out expectations, the roles, the responsibilities of everybody right. that's going to be involved. And, you know, you move from there to you start to outline the definition and objectives of what you want to do. Uh, you know, some people call it a charter. Some people call it a st- scope statement. Yep. But really, you got to memorialize that. you got to document. you got to make sure that everybody that has pictures in their mind when they read those words – they all have the same picture. They're communicating the same goals from where they're at to their teams and so on and so forth. And, you know, once you get those documents memorialized, you really, you need to socialize them and you need to work with the teams, again, that may not have had the opportunity to be in those rooms with everybody, but they were represented by somebody that they consider a leader that they trust. And then you, you move into the building the schedules. And those people that are going to do the work, they're, they're ones that are the bright ones that are going to make everything happen. That's their opportunity to shine. They're going to tell you what they can do to meet those goals and objectives, what it's going to take and how long it's going to take. And you know then you're going to look at that. And you're going to move into a validation. And you're going to validate what they said. And you're going to come out with a timeline. And they're going to say, this is everything that it's going to take to accomplish these goals and objectives if they're possible. And here's your target that you gave us, but here's what we can really do. And from that right. point, it becomes a negotiation and the business can decide to take on risk. And then what are their mitigation strategies? Or they can decide to mitigate that risk right away and cut scope to try to meet what the team can do. And, you know, from there, it, it starts to shift an organization from being in a reactive mode to starting to become proactive. Yeah. They're looking at things before it happens. And they're, and that's really what sets AliPro apart from others. We really focus on shifting that organization to be proactive. A lot of project management disciplines out there and, and project management practice, they're always focusing on what happened as opposed to looking at 
what happened and then what are we going to do about it? How does that impact us down the road? I think that's really important. But, you know, one thing we, we were talking about, you know, getting everything kicked off. Uh, let me ask you this, because I know you work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies. Where's the biggest misstep in any type of project that's being taken on by one of these companies or within the departments that you see? You know, really a lot of it is just not spending the time up front to really define the project and agree what we're going to do and what this project program initiative, whatever they want to call it, is going to be. And that lack of involvement leads to a lack of communication and a lack of understanding. And, you know, I've seen some of the largest projects in different companies, different industries make the same mistakes. Uh, you know, from having outdated charters or, or more importantly, no charter at all. And the schedules don't align to the charters. The teams weren't given, you know, weren't involved in building the schedule. Sometimes they're just given a schedule and say, mm-hmm. hey, this is what you need to do. And, you know, it really sets them up for failure from the beginning. And, you know, it, it's difficult to, to build a plane while you're flying it. But that's just <laughs> the way corporate America is today. And yeah. the upfront work often gets dismissed. And I, you know, I, I look at people and I have clients that are going to launch a 40, 50, 60 million dollar project. And they say, well, if we take three weeks to plan over this multi-year project up front and we're going to spend $60,000 by the time you figure everybody's time and all this other stuff to plan this thing out. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, say $60,000 on a 40, 50, 60 million dollar project and yet these same people are out there spending tons of money on business insurance and everything else. And why is that? Uh, to help mitigate risk. But they're not looking at the project management up front as an insurance policy to help this project go as successful as possible. And, you know, that's that's one of the biggest things. And the, the next thing is, is the business businesses typically don't involve the entire team when they're setting up the goals. They don't look at it vertically and horizontally. Mm-hmm. And they they grab a few subject matter experts and, and that's where it stops. And it needs to start there. It needs to start with some subject matter experts. You gotta give it the litmus test. You gotta get some bones and some structure in place. And then you've gotta give it to the team and really let them bring it to life. And if you don't follow that process, it makes it very difficult to be successful. And, I don't even know what the exact statistic is anymore. It, it bounces around quite a bit, but um, you know, I think it's safe to say roughly, you know, 50 to 60 percent of projects fail, and yeah. a lot of them fail because. Wow. Of this. And there's a lot of different meanings of failure, whether it's over budget, whether they missed their target, whether the project was just, you know, killed altogether. But um, you know, when when you really look at what those missteps are, it's it always comes back to. And not not really spending that time up front, not involving the team. And, you know, really, it comes down to change management and communication. Right. And every, every, every project is going to involve change management, communication in some way, shape or form. Let's kind of touch on this. You brought this up. There's a lot of Fortune 500 companies or even just large businesses. They hire a lot of managers, directors, what have you, and they pay them extremely well. So why would I need a company like Alipro to get a project management company involved in my business? Why, I mean, I pay these people really well. Why do I need you guys? Well, a lot of it is really, you know, to start with, it's that, you know, kind of independent look at what your company's challenge is going to be. People that are involved and they sit in with inside a company, um, they're obviously, they've got a lot of intellectual property and knowledge on their company processes, but sometimes they may not have the opportunity to just peek their head up and see what the industry is doing, see how well other companies are accomplishing goals and objectives and how do they keep up. And, you know, really a lot of companies outsource project management because it's not part of their core competency. It was kind of built from within. You know, they, they take great designers or developers or, you know, they, they take somebody that's, a, you know, a, a great accountant and then they make them into a project manager because they're subject matter experts in their field. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this works, but a lot of times it doesn't. And, you know, most PM companies are focused on the early indicators and, you know, they're they're looking at all the different project management disciplines that they have, all the different tools that they have, and they're looking at that as a way to communicate news 
And when you're a subject matter expert in your field, you're really focused on the technology and not necessarily the project management discipline. It doesn't mean that they're not smart. It doesn't mean that they can't pick it up or learn it. But oftentimes companies just say, Curfee, I'm going to put you as the project manager over this because you know everything there is to know about financials in a company. So we're going to put in a new financial system and we want you to lead it up. And then you're you're trying to figure out, well, how do I build schedules? How do I manage this? Mm-hmm. And when you have an outside PM company, that's what their focus is. That's what their uh, core competency is. And, you know, it gets back to that news thing. It's the old adage, you know, bad news doesn't get better with age. And, and it's true. So, you know, an outside PM company, they're not looking at it. And especially from AliPro's perspective, you know, we look at it as we're not being engaged by companies to provide good news or bad news. We're engaged to provide accurate news. We live and breathe right. project management. And, you know, from our perspective and from our clients' perspectives, they want us to be able to read those tea leaves. They want us to be able to tell them, hey, there's there's troubled waters ahead and this is what you need to do. And you know, that, that's important because they need to focus on doing what they do best and they need somebody else to focus on helping them remove all the roadblocks that are there that inhibits them from doing their day-to-day work. And, you know, we bring a perspective to the project management process that a lot of organizations wouldn't otherwise have if they didn't engage us. And that doesn't mean that they need to bring us on for every single project, but a lot of those larger strategic corporate-wide projects is where it really comes into play when they've got a date that's with outside their company, whether it's, a, you know, a, an EPA regulation or whether it's getting a product out by a certain, um, you know, automotive event or anything like that. And, right. you know, I, I would say that, you know, it's, it's never a, a bad time to look at project management, but, you know, it's it's the best time, obviously, is before you get kicked off and, you know, and you're running down the path and, and you realize that you're in trouble. Because, right. again, it's that it's that fly in the plane while you're building it thing. Once once you're once you're at that point, you really can't stop flying the plane. You got to keep right. flying it, but then you got to make the best with what you can. Yeah. So I'd say that, you know, the, the biggest reason a lot of companies, you know, even though they're paying their own project managers and stuff, we partner with those project managers. We're not there to take their job. We're not there to do their job for them. You know, they're the ones that are going to come up with the solutions to remove the roadblocks. We're the ones that are there to tell them, hey, this is this curve coming up. Again, you got rough waters ahead. You've got these things, the, the warning signs and early indicators that that yeah. we see. So, I mean, that's, you know, that that in a nutshell is is yeah. really well, companies I, to outsource. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. You said something there, and I think I get asked this question a lot. When should we hire a consultant or a coach like ACS executives? And I'm like, well, you don't do it when you're in trouble, like you said. You don't do it when you're that far down the road. You need us at the very beginning. Things are actually going well. That's the best time to fix issues, not when it's going bad. That makes it that much more difficult for me. And a lot of times I'll have to pass on it's too far down the road. We, we can't do anything. And that's unfortunate. So, no, that's a very good point. You, you also touch based on, you know, a charter, right? That, that's like in the first step uh, yep. for my company uh, in, bring, in getting you guys involved. Is there anything else that we need to do to get off on the right foot besides a charter? Well, you know, it, it everything, and, you, and you'll probably hear me say it multiple times the more you talk to me, it, it really starts to change management and communication. Um, you know, when, when you start to tackle, you know, a troubled project or whether it's a project rescue or whether it's a brand new project or, you know, anything that you're going to undertake, you know, it's to get off on the right foot. Um, you know, it's change management communication. You're, you're, you're kind of implementing a paradigm shift and it's, it's essential. You're, you're getting the team to look at things differently, especially in failed projects. You know, if you got if you get engaged, like you said, which we typically get engaged when there's already trouble. And, you know, from that standpoint, you've, you've got to come in and change the mentality, change the strategy sometimes, but change the approach and change the level at which the team operates. And that's before you even start. That's before you can even get a charter in place. If everybody just 
has it in their mind that this is going to fail and there's no way out, then, you know, you, you've got to you've got to overcome that. And that means that you got to roll up your sleeves. You got to get into the day to day. You got to, you, you can't just work from the comfort of your office or your desk. Uh, sometimes you got to get out there and and actually understand where the failure is coming from, where the issues are coming from, and and you need to bring the team back together. You got to regroup. You got to replan. You'll start to gain momentum again. Yeah. And at that point in time, you know, that's where you can start to develop that charter. That's where that you know, kind of starting off on the right foot comes so important. And I guess I'd say that, you know, one of the most difficult tasks that any project manager will have to do is, is stop and fix. But, you know, sometimes it's the only way that you can avoid a disaster in your project. But when you don't have to stop and fix, change management communication is still important because this project, by definition, is unique. It's one-time occurrence. It's got to start. It's got to finish. And, People are going to come into the project with preconceived notions. They're going to come into the project with past experience and, you know, good and bad. And you want to make sure that you harness that positive feeling. You want to make sure you harness that energy and you want to keep that from from running down the path of negativity or where people think that there's a chance this project can fail. And that goes back to what I said previously with involving them up front. And, right. you know, when you bring you you let people speak, you let people problem solve together, you know, you really establish a new baseline and a path forward from previous projects. Let me ask you, so you're talking about establishing communication channels, right? And so yep. does, does like hierarchy egos ever get in the way and how do you overcome that? You know, it does. Um, and that's, that's just going to be the case in any project there's always going to be people that are you know the the a-type personalities the ones that are a little bit more outspoken i think that's the job of a good project manager or a company like alipro they can come in and really kind of make sure that everybody is kept in check and sometimes that means having difficult conversations sometimes that means um, you know having a few hard stops and and pulling people out and saying look this is the goal and objective that we've got. And, you know, we need you to play nicely in the sandbox, so right. to speak. And <laughs> if you can't, um, you know, we're going to ask you to leave. And that's yeah. another thing that's difficult, even when, especially when you're brought into another company, when you get that type of disruption, but oftentimes or not, those people can sometimes be your most valuable allies. They're the ones that when, when you learn to harness their, enthusiasm and knowledge and their desire to you know try to take the reins and and keep the project from failing and you can do that in an organized manner you can feed them the data that they need and then they gain that trust in you that's you know that's that's sometimes one of the biggest assets that you can have but i don't mean to you know interrupt you but guess what we've been talking here but we're halfway through the show believe it or not um, so it's time to take a break to listen to a few sponsors and while that's going on i'll let jared take his breath and I'll go reapply some Coon Beard oil to my beard. Uh, but when we come back, Jared's going to get into more detail about project management and problem solving uh, for your corporation. Welcome back to Hashtag Biz with the Beard. This is business as you've never heard before. With us today is the President and Chief Operating Officer of Alipro, Mr. Jared Hoke. Welcome back, Jared, and thank you for not running away during the break. I gotta turn this off. It's freaking me out. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm in a conference room, so there's nowhere to run to. <laughs> they locked the door on you? Locked you in, huh? They did. They did. <laughs> you guys do a good job with security. <laughs> Well, hey, Jared, we discussed establishing what you call a charter at the beginning of a project. I mean, what does that mean? Is that just getting around a room and spitballing ideas, or is it more than that? Well, it kind of seems logical what, that you would, but, you know, just having a charter established really isn't enough, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, 
that charter needs to be socialized, needs to be accepted, needs to be understood. And, you know, the charter is really a living and breathing document. And it's going to continually be monitored, changed, and it's going to take on new forms and meanings as the project kicks off and it, and it begins to take a life of its own. And being able to keep the team from outlining outrunning their headlights is, is really crucial. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, like you just, yeah. And, and even though you've, you've established a charter, it doesn't mean that you're just going to start, you know, spitballing ideas and, and taking the next step. There's, that's really the time to make sure that your charter is, is solid. It's robust. It's complete. And you can do that by, as you start to socialize it, because again, charter generation doesn't typically involve the entire team. That's where you've got, you know, people that are the heads of the business that say this is where the company needs to go. They're applying their talents and their strategies and their experiences to say this is what we need to do to continue to grow and make revenue. And then they look at it and say, well, let's put that on paper and then communicate to someone else. Oftentimes that gets to become an edict and it's not really as much of a communication. But if you socialize the charter and you let people look at it and review it and they understand it, then you know you've got a charter that's that's viable. Um, when people look at it and say, I really don't know what the hell that means, that's when you start <laughs> to run into problems. And and that's when you know that your charter needs to be brushed up. So if you just run forward right away and you start looking at, you know, well, this is done, I checked the box, uh, you know, you're you're really you're gonna start out running your headlights. You're gonna you're gonna start running into trouble. So then we would probably accumulate a lot of data, right? Kind of maybe get to the root cause and some conclusions. I don't know. Am I going the right direction as the yeah. next step? And then yeah, once I have so, all that information, you know, you know, is that where we start to strategize and create a plan? And how how would we do that? You said you got a lot of data accumulated, and you know, you you kind of know what your root cause conclusions are and things like that. And and now that you have all the data necessary, and assuming you have all your project management artifacts in place, you can really dig into planning. Um, and, and that's where the team's going to begin to flesh out all the different possibilities for moving forward. They're going to look at, uh, more often than not, identifying roadblocks, what's going to prevent them from doing that. And you know they're going to present you with these obstacles before the project even starts. And that's just as important as planning because the, the teams are the ones that understand their political environment. They understand the the politics of their organization. They know what can be done and what can't be done. And sometimes they they may need outside influence. Sometimes they may need help from uh, companies that have different expertise and uh, Mm -hmm. different core competencies. But, um, you know, that's that's really once you get all that data, that's, you know, really where the planning begins and being able to start to see that plan formulate and come into play is what really sets you up for the upcoming journey, if you will. I mean, you know, that schedule, it's going to change. And, right. you know, my, you, you know, that's my okay, colleague, right? Solomon, yeah, exactly. And, you know, my, my, my colleague, Solomon Balraj, and, and he's not yep. here so I can pick on him. But, you know, as <laughs> soon as the team on. gets done planning and they're on this, this, this sugar high, if you will, we've just accomplished this. We know we can do this now. We're in agreement. Finally, the executive office believes us. We've worked together. He looks at everybody and says, this is a great plan and it's wrong. And the whole team looks at him. And I, and I, I criticize him every time for, for doing that, but it's true. <laughs> You know, the plan is going to change, and that's really part of that change management communication. You got to let the team know that just because this plan changes doesn't mean that you have failed. What it right. means is you're getting smarter and smarter as this plan goes on. You're learning yeah. more and more about all these things, this path that you've laid out, and you know that's that's what's important. And I think that you know once you have that data, it sets you up for success. It sets you up for for that journey. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole part of this whole thing is it is a journey, right? You have an issue or you're tackling some type of problem and you have these pre everyone has preconceived notions of what the problem is, right? But where a lot of companies fail, that where they usually make their decisions before hiring someone like you that takes them down this journey to get to the real problem and the real way to solve it. And it's okay that, hey, we were wrong in our first thoughts and here's the actual truth because when you get to the real truth, now you've got solutions. So 
you would obviously implement a, as the next step, right? You've got this plan, just as Solomon says, even though it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's time to implement, right? Um, yeah, what, I mean, what you know, now you're getting into the delivery and execution. Delivery. Of the what, yeah, delivery execution. However you want to call. It. So, what are some of the key things we need to be looking for? And what should we be monitoring during this this process? Well, and, and that's that's a that's a great question and a and a really good point. I'm glad you brought it up. It um, you know because because now you're getting into the delivery and execution of the project, and you know a lot of people kind of think, oh, hey, the, the heavy lifting's done. Now we just get to sit back and coast, and <laughs> just get to go through our our schedule and our activity list and give it an update each week. And you know, but but this is absolutely where a company like AliPro. Uh, this is where we lend our knowledge and expertise, you know, that, because we, we built custom software tools uh, to help us troubleshoot, schedule logic, gather different data points. And, um, you know, we're not really looking at it in terms of hours and days and effort. We're looking at it, you know, so much differently. And a lot of organizations look at it and just say, well, how much effort have I expended? And what does that translate into dollars? And what does that mean on my budget? But because they get so focused on that, they they don't start to see those warning signs. They think, well, maybe I didn't get these few activities done, but I'm going to get them done next week. Um, and and maybe they slip out a little bit more, and they have no in idea what the impact is to their end date. They have no idea how that schedule moves and flexes, and they it's difficult to see all those early indicators. And this in the monitoring and control and the execution phase. This is where having that expertise and ability to look at a team's progress, see where the delays are coming from, and shift priority is absolutely critical. And, it, you know, as we mentioned earlier, well, to shift priority to, to things that are a critical activity, what that really means is, um, you know, as we, as we joked around before, every schedule is wrong. Well, it's not that it's wrong, but as you start to go through, you start to see that, okay, if I keep on the same path, I'm going to run into problems. But if I veer over here and if I take these actions, then I'm going to avoid that. It doesn't mean that you have to spend more money. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's going to be delay, but it's a little bit different because you're constantly gathering data. You're constantly looking at that. And, you know, to, to shift priority means simply that if I'm looking at it and, uh, and I'm in the automotive world and my goal is to get uh, a mule build, yeah, which is just basically a kind of a piece together prototype to, to test some functionality, but it's not an actual uh, functional prototype that you're going to take out to the road. Um, if, if, that, if that's my goal, then I run into a roadblock. Well, focusing priority and shifting priority could be that, hey, the engine's not really that important. I can't get an engine for 90 days anyways, but the most important thing is I don't have a chassis to bolt that thing into. And getting the teams to, to realize, stop focusing on the engine, focus on the chassis right now because this is going to be your problem. Maybe that it's not quite, quite uh, aligned that way in the schedule. There might need to be some logic that's corrected, but that's really what you need to do to keep the team progressing. And it's important, you know, to ensure that along the way, those issues, those risks are identified, actions are taken, resolutions are clear. And, you know, a lot of times you see, you know, People and teams and project managers say, well, yeah, we keep and, and, you know, really it's just a mechanism for them to document. Here's all the problems, but then they tuck it away and they never see to it that those problems are solved and that those those issues go away. And, you know, that's really where you're starting to look at this phase as an opportunity to, to keep the ship on course. So what you're probably saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, though, as you jump into a project, are you may encounter other projects within that project, correct? Absolutely, absolutely, and it, it happens and that's all okay. the time. And then, yeah, well, and that's where it's managing the scope comes into play. Yeah, you got to say, hey, guys, this is great. We're you know we're going to bring it up to the business, but that's not within the scope of what we're here to solve. But we need to absolutely get that solved. But we've got to you know that's outside of this project. We've got to have somebody else do that, or the business has to say, you know what. We want that to become part of this project. We need to go back, update the charter, um, allocate funds, resources, time, things like that. So you bring that up, right? So what happens uh, if we, you know, we're executing our strategy, or implementing it, and we don't hit the targets we've established? Do we just chuck the whole thing, or what, what do you suggest? <laughs> 
Well, um, you know, I, again, uh, you know, that, that, that's one, that's one way to do it, but, uh, you know, projects are going to take different turns. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I never say no, uh, but, uh, I always, I'm always, uh, really optimistic that there's always a way to solve a problem. Um, even though sometimes you just, you just do need to kill a project, but, um, as I was kind of saying, you know, projects are going to take a lot of different directions throughout their life. And, you know, sometimes it is important to fail fast. And I know I said that earlier. And, and you know, you need to, to recognize early on that a project is just not going to yield the ROI that, that you intended. And I wouldn't jump to that conclusion, you know, right away and say you need to cancel a project. But there are times where, you know, you, you want to start measuring the viability of a project right away. And there are times where you look at this and say, why go on and spend the amount of money that we're going to spend if we already know that we're not going to get our benefit? But, um, you know, I, I guess I would say that, you know, I, for example, you know, recently we were, this is a good example, I think we were um, engaged in a project that had been going on at a client for six years. And it's hard to believe, but it had been six years. And they engaged us and said, we really don't know where we're at with completing this project. Uh, they missed the original date for their production launch by a little over two years. Oh and now this project had morphed into this kind of situation and continuous mode of just trying to catch up to new change requests so that they can keep the older product going out the door with minor enhancements and updates. But they, they really kind of lost their way because you know, like I said, life goes on that, that ship's you know gonna keep sailing in that uh, that airplane is going to keep flying. And, you know, we, we came in and after a few weeks of data gathering and and some some serious working sessions with uh, all different levels, the executive steering team, um, mid-level management, and most importantly, uh, the the ladies and gentlemen that were on the ground really trying to, to, to bring this project to an end and to a resolution, um, none of them really had a clear idea and they weren't communicating anymore and really what the goals were. Uh, so, you know, for us, we were able to identify the gaps, look at what they needed to be, where they needed to be in the upcoming years and say, how do we take where we're at now and get to where we need to be in a few years? Forget and kind of scrap the original goal that was six years ago. Um, and uh, we convinced them to take six weeks and we stood up what we called a, a quote unquote new project. Um, you know, and, and that that was important part of the change management communication. The old project, the name was known, and it, it it was failed. There was no way about it. But it was one of those things that the business couldn't just scrap it. Scrap. So you know, we re, we we rebranded it, and then in the upcoming 14 months, um, you know, we were able to to get it into the upcoming production cycle, and and now they've got they've got it out for production, and they're working on Gen two. So it, it was one of those things where. Um, you know, they, they really couldn't just chuck it, but, uh, you know, we were able to find a way to salvage it and turning into something different than what it was originally intended. Originally it was intended to put out a new product. They kind of missed that market date. They were trying to play catch up. So what was their next goal and how can we take what we have here and apply it to that? So, um, you know, going back, you know, to what you asked and, you know, if you just chuck it, if you established targets, sometimes you do. But more often than not, there's a lot of good work. There's a lot of good information that comes from that. And it's just really looking at the, how do I reapply that? Right. Maybe going back to some steps and figuring out where, where were the messed ups, right? Was it in the analysis yeah. or was it in the, you know, implementate? Where was that? Maybe all it is. So let's say we hit our targets, right? We got our, you know, we hit our targets or we've exceeded them. What are the next crucial steps? Are, are there any? Is that it? We're done? Uh, well, um, when you say we hit our targets, I, I assume that you mean that the project was completed. Um, is that is that a safe assumption? Well, I would say when you're creating the chart, you're like, there's some objectives, you know, and you create an objective, you hit that objective. Is there anything we need to do after that? Any steps? Well, yeah. You know, so you, you accomplish your objective. Uh, the, the project schedules for all practical purposes is complete. The team's celebrating. You know, let's go on to the next thing. Um, you know, we, that's really where you got to slow the team down and say, hey, guys, we've got one last crucial thing that we need to do uh, to really ensure future success. And, you know, Curfew, this is the, the single most overlooked step I see in project management, and, and that's having a project close out. 
And really, it's just gathering those lessons learned, as we mentioned, uh, you know, just a, just a bit ago in that project. And, and you alluded to it. So it's it's uh, it's almost like you uh, you're leading me here. So <laughs> that's great. But <laughs> nah. um, but you know it's it's looking at what those gaps were, what caused this failure, how did we get where we were, and then you document that. And you know you're also looking at the accomplishments. What did we learn? And we found out we didn't have to test this thing for 12 weeks. We found a way to do uh, a simulation-based product development, and it took 12 weeks and cut it down to 12 days. Um, you know, so those are those are great things. But if you don't memorialize those things, if you don't document them, if you don't store them in a place that is searchable and easy to find and review those artifacts, then you're not going to be able to learn for that and plan in the future and get better. And, you know, that's the thing is if an organization can't learn from their mistakes or from their accomplishments, um, you know, they're they're going to continue to see the same challenges and setbacks again and again, as opposed to being able to overcome new challenges and, and setbacks, so to speak. Let me let me ask you this. So you, you may mention you had soft this project management software. Do you use it? Do you use it personally? I do. Um, you yeah. know, I don't get to use it as often anymore. Uh, uh, my, my role with the organization has changed. I don't get the opportunity to get out in the field too much. But every now and then, um, and I'm going to I'm going to throw our, our good friend Solomon under the bus again. <laughs> he uh, he comes to me and says, well, guess what? Congratulations. We've got more work and everything else. And and, uh, you know, I'm going to be the one that kicks it off again. So you're going to come and you're going to be my assistant. You're going to work for me. <laughs> so that's when I get the opportunity to to kind of keep my skills sharp and and see how everything correlates to the solutions that we're delivering and really looking at the software that we've developed to do that easier. You know, we, we do have a lot of different tools that we've developed that help us with our methodology, but also help us to do things faster, better, take mm-hmm. on more work with, with fewer people. And, you know, that translates to value and economies of scale for our clients as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I use a project management tool to, to run my life. If I didn't, things wouldn't get done. Uh, I have to write <laughs> it down. Right. I mean, I do. I, I just, I, 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 hear to. I, I mean, I write it down. I set dates. I, you know, I go through the whole process for my, for me personally, because I, and I think a lot of people struggle with that in life is like, well, how do I do this? And, you know, I want this, or I want, you know, I want more money or I want an easier life. And well, then write it down. Cause if you don't write it down and establish some type of time frame and what your objective and how you're going to get there, it's just going to be continue to be a dream. But so I live on a day-to-day basis, I, I pull it up right now, and you can see what I got planned today and what are my goals and objectives and how I'm going to accomplish those, what are my goals and objectives for the rest of the week, the month, the year, everything. Um, and I think that's important. But, you know, let's talk about you and your future. What does the future hold for Jared and Alipro? Well, you know, I, you know, I guess that's that's always tough. Um, one thing I've never been good at is predicting the future. And if I if I was good at predicting it, I'd do better better picks in my stocks. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I guess the future could hold so many different things, really. I mean, but uh, right now I've got a young family at home, and I'm learning to kind of balance my my family life with my work life, and I'm looking at ways to continue to to push myself and and drive to improve my knowledge in the business world. Um, again, what's the next problem that I want to solve? And some of those problems are now: uh, how do I make sure that my children are prepared? How do I know? How do I make sure that my household is is running well? And you know, I, really, it's um, you know, the future for me is is really whatever I decide that I'm going to make it. And yeah. uh, even at this point in time, I guess I really haven't decided what I'm going to be when I grow up. And, and I don't know as always, even though I get older each year, I don't know as though I'll ever grow up, but, um, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing in the future is just looking at it and saying, how do I keep moving forward? How do I continue to meet and exceed the goals that I've set for myself and that others have set for me? Well, this leads me into my next question. Then I'm going to give you a term legacy. What's that mean to you, and uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, yeah, that's 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 good. Uh, well, you know, to me, the term legacy really kind of makes me think about what my life story is going to be. And you know, I'm I'm still relatively young, 
And, you know, hopefully I have a lot of pages left in my story. But, um, you know, I want my story to tell, uh, you know, about the things in life that I've experienced, the places that I've gone, uh, the goals that I've accomplished. Uh, you know, I guess I'd say it just as equally as important, the setbacks that I've had and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, the perseverance that, that it's taken to just continue to move forward and not not stop and say I've been defeated. And, you know, to me, a legacy is something that, you know, the person leaves behind and something that they're going to be remembered by. And I guess in terms of what it means to me, I, I, I hope my legacy will provide a path forward and an inspiration to, you know, my family and, you know, and people who may want to throw in the towel at times, but I hope it just inspires them to, to not give up and say, Hey, if, if this guy from a cornfield did it, I can too. That's a great way to end this and a great way to put it. I, I love that. I love that. Well, Jared, this has been a very informative show, and you've been an amazing guest. Uh, you've go, gone above and beyond what I expected. Uh, and I know we've been talking about doing this for a few months, and it, it was well worth the wait. And hopefully we can have you on again and maybe go in a little bit more detail about some of these steps we discussed today, if that's all right you. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to add or plug before we go? The stage is yours. Uh, you know, um, I, I've really enjoyed my time. As always, Curfew, we have great conversations, and I'd absolutely love to be on the show again in the future. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that from a project management perspective, kind of going back to the overall topic of this this podcast, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. A lot of organizations, again, it's that look at looking at it like they're afraid to fail or admit failure. And, you know, a lot of the organizations we work with, people are tenured there. There's people that have never worked anywhere else other than that particular company. And when you have a majority of your workforce that's only worked with inside those four walls, they don't have perspective on how other organizations can do things or how other industries accomplish things. And that's really what a company like AliPro can bring. And, you know, it's not a situation where, you know, we're going to come and land and expand. A lot of the work that we do with clients are, you know, one week, two week, three week workshops just to get them back on track and to get them that exposure and that little bit of experience and tips and tricks that they may not have. So yeah. I guess I'd say that from a project management standpoint, whether it's Alley Pro or anyone else, um, if you really want to start looking at how do I continue to keep up with the market, keep up with my competitors, don't look past project management. It's probably the first place you should start. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Well, thank you, sir, and thanks again for coming on Hashtag Biz with the Beard Podcast. Much love and success to you. Hey, thank you very much for having me, and uh, likewise, and I, I wish you the greatest success. Keep going. Yeah, thank you. Well, I just want to remind everyone to subscribe at anchor.fm slash bizwithbeard, then share it with your friends on all your social media pages. And don't forget, while you are there, uh, if you want to feature your business by sponsoring a future episode or help support the show, all you have to do is hit listener support and we can feature you or your business at the beginning of the show. Uh, remember, hashtag biz with beard listeners, Coon Beard Products is going to hook you all up by giving you your first free or your first month free when you sign up for a Coon Box. Again, all I have to do is go out to coonbox.com and use code bizbeard when you sign up. And that is a wrap, folks. So another show is in the books, but never fear. The beard will always be here. Until next time, same beard time, same beard channels. Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Hashtag Biz with the Beard. Remember, every genius idea starts with the stroke of a beard. Have a successful day. Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. 
we help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.